You're listening to Office Hours from the Hoover Institution, where we follow up on the most frequently asked questions to our policy ed videos. I'm Tom Church, and today I'm talking with David Henderson about his video, The Inequality We Should Worry About. David is a research fellow here at the Hoover Institution and an emeritus professor of economics at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. David, first of all, let's be clear about what you're calling good and bad inequality. How is it that some inequality can be good? Some inequality, in fact, much inequality can be good when it comes about due to, say, the introduction of a good or service that benefits the people who buy it or else they wouldn't buy it and makes the person who introduces it fabulously wealthy. So think about a chainsaw, McCullough's chainsaw. It probably benefited a few hundred thousand people by anywhere from a few dollars to $40 in terms of you know, saved effort. But it made McCullough into a multimillionaire. So inequality increased, and yet everyone in the relevant area, everyone involved in those transactions gained. And what about bad inequality? I mean, how can we figure out the difference between the two of them? Well, I can tell you what bad inequality is, uh, and then it's harder to figure out how to identify it empirically. But bad inequality comes about typically to some kind of government privilege. So an example I gave in the video was LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who he and his wife got this uh, license to operate a radio station, and then the FCC cooperated with them in preventing other competition. So it made them fabulously wealthy, but made people in the Austin radio market and later TV market slightly worse off. So they lost a few dollars of well-being per person. And he and his wife gained about $8 million in 1964 dollars. So, you know, that's an example. Now, how do you distinguish, like, so if you look at someone who's very wealthy, how do you figure out whether that's good or bad? You'd have to look at the details you'd have to look at how did they get their money? Did they do it by productive effort, by innovation and so on? Or did they do it by getting some special government privilege? How much of this is related to the concept of rent seeking uh, that economists throw out this term all the time? And, and can you give a quick, simple English explanation of what that is and, and how much it might overlap? Yeah, I wrote a piece on rent seeking in my Encyclopedia of Economics in which I said it's a really good concept and a really bad term because you think about rents, you know, economists sometimes don't communicate well. I think what it really is is privilege seeking, seeking special favors from the government. And that's really, if you look at every usage the economists make of the term rent seeking, you pretty much could substitute privilege seeking. So you mentioned that the success of entrepreneurs increases their wealth but also improves the well-being of millions or tens of millions of people. Is it possible or likely that new advances to technology can occur at similar rates to what we're seeing now without increasing the wealth gap or concentrations of wealth even more? It's possible, but unlikely. And here's why. Let's take, if you're worried about inequality, as you can tell, I'm not if it's the right kind, but if you're worried about inequality, imagine what in your view would be the best case where the innovator just increases his or her wealth by the same percent as the wealth of the people who gain from the innovation. That's probably the best case. Even there, the absolute wealth gap grows because you have someone starting with 10 million and their wealth goes up by 100%. They go to 20, 20 million. If some low wealth person's wealth goes up by 100%, that gap grows. And so, but again, I don't worry about that 
because everyone or almost everyone is doing better. I think people often use the statistics that are available to them. So when we talk about inequality, oftentimes we're just going to focus on income inequality or maybe wealth inequality. Do you think there's a better way to measure this? And do you think there's uh, another way that would make it easier to identify between the good and the bad types of inequality? I think there are better ways to measure it. Economists sometimes use the idea of consumption inequality. And what they have shown is consumption inequality is less than income inequality. And that makes sense because incomes rise and fall with circumstances. Whereas as Milton Friedman pointed out in his 1957 book of theory, the consumption function, people consume based on what is what he called permanent income, what they think will be their relatively stable income over long periods. So if their income falls by 20%, they don't cut consumption by 20%, they cut it by 10%. If their income rises temporarily by 20%, they'll increase their consumption by 10%, not 20%. And so consumption is a better measure. Wealth is a better measure too. But one thing to point out is the main factor in wealth inequality is age. If you look at a bar graph at what people's wealth is at various points in their life, people like me, people, I could say in my mid late 60s, now I'm 70, but my late 60s, we were basically the top wealth group. And that's because you had decades in which to save money, take advantage of the law of compound interest, and so on. And so the major factor is age. And right there, that says, it's hard to say why that, why that kind of inequality would be bad. Last question for you here. Many people believe it's impossible to get extremely wealthy or wealthy in general without exploiting workers or bending the rules in their favor. How true do you think that is? I think that's absolutely false. I don't Now, You can get wealthy by bending the rules in your favor. You can get wealthy by exploiting workers, but that's, but, but it, there are so many instances of people not doing that. So my favorite example is Sam Walton of Walmart. He introduced an innovation for how to sell goods. And Jason Furman, who used to be President Obama's chief economist, estimated that the average family in America gains $3,000 a year in well-being because of Walmart. And so, you know, he certainly wasn't exploiting consumers. Was he bending the rules in his favor? No. Maybe occasionally he used eminent domain to, to get some places to build. I don't know. I don't think that was common. Now, as far as exploiting workers, that's trickier. How do you exploit workers who voluntarily work for you? How does that work? I mean, you work at Hoover. If you were being exploited, wouldn't you leave? And, and so I don't really think workers are generally exploited. Now, if you had slavery, clearly that's exploitation, but we don't have slavery. And so I just think that's false. So there's this famous quote from Balzac. I, I checked it before this interview. Behind every fortune is a great crime. He didn't have evidence for that. It was just a great line in a novel. But I mean, behind most, here's the more accurate statement. Behind most fortunes, is great productivity. That was David Henderson answering your questions about good and bad inequality. Make sure to follow PolicyEd from the Hoover Institution on YouTube or Facebook to see new videos every week.